You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man to man. No excuses are offered. None accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are sock full of that, man. right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold sets up. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Come strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz. I am Jeff Howe. Thank everybody for joining us. However, you're listening, uh, watching us on video, on the, the plethora of podcast apps for this show is now available. Thank you so much for your support. Let's hope everybody out there is staying healthy, taking care of yourself and your family, doing well. And if you're looking for something to break the monotony of quarantine times, we're here to do it for you. Football talk on this week's show. Let me bring in the rest of the team as we practice our safe social distancing. He is the master of the soundboard. Drop machine extraordinaire, Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well. How about yourself? Other than a problem with my left contact lens, I'm doing good. Uh, so if it looks like I'm winking at you guys or <laughs> adjusting my eye, it's I've got a problem with my left contact. And so. that would be so brutal because I I've wore contacts my whole life, but with the new so idea of trying to limit face touching, I would touch my face constantly trying to mess with contacts. I, I bet that's a never-ending battle. It is, and I'll tell you what, I've washed my hands so much, I'm like overwashing my hands. I got like cracked skin all over my hands. That's why I'm hiding them behind the laptop for those of you trying to watch us on video. Uh, the third member of our team, he knows all about hand sanitation and sanitation in general. Uh, that's what makes him a Renaissance man, not just here on Longhorn Blitz, but on 1049 The Horn, where you hear him each and every weekday on the triple option with RBKD, with Brad Kellner and Kevin Dunn from 3 7. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All America, 2002 semifinalist. For the Jim Thorpe Award, fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats in the CFL. When he was done with football, got himself back to Austin, Texas in the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU. When you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts. Rod Babers, right? How you doing today? Thanks for the intro, brother. Doing great. How about yourself? Our home away from home, Rod, the yeah. Onion Creek Club, the no Jimmy doubt. the Merritt Room, where we're at right now. Uh, I do my show with Craig Way, Light the Tower, 10 to noon on the horn if you need it. Uh, and then Rod comes in here with Kevin Dunn to do the afternoon show. Rod, I mentioned uh, you going in the NFL draft back in 2003. I want to start our show this week talking about some draft stuff. We'll talk more draft next week ahead of the draft. I think next week's show will be draft intensive. Uh, but I do want to get to a couple of things today. Uh, Devin Duvernay shooting up the boards. Uh, if you look at the latest mock drafts, Todd McShay had Duvernay going late second round. Mal Kuyper now has Devin Duvernay going late second round. Yeah. Uh, Pete Prisco from CBS Sports, keeping in the CBS family for a minute. Uh, he ran down a list of 20 guys I like more than scouts do. Devin Duvernay was on that list for him. Uh, and I'll read this from Pete Prisco. Quote, he's a slot receiver who can fly. There is great value to that. At 5'10", he might not be able to move outside consistently, but he can run, especially when it comes to play speed 
He is a solidly built player in the Tyreek Hill mold, but one who isn't quite as fast. Who is? Uh, but he has speed to win on the next level. Right? That's like saying something. Well, you're not as fast as Carl Lewis. Well, great. Who is? Um, but you look at this, man, I thought we were definitely going to have to wait until the third round to hear a Texas player's name called. Barad, you follow this stuff a lot more closely than I do. I look at it pretty much just from a Texas, even Big 12 point of view. But you look at the draft as a whole, and I know you've got a lot of contacts in the league. Are people starting to think that maybe that run of receivers were not everybody knows Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb are going to go pretty early. Yeah. But the Henry Ruggs and the, the Justin Jeffersons of the world, are people thinking that run of wide receivers might come a little bit earlier in the first round than people might have initially been thinking? Yeah, I mean, I think the projection is four and a half wide receivers in the first round, but I think it could get closer to six which would, I believe, be approaching a record uh, number for the position in the mm-hmm. first round. Yeah. i got to go back and check it out. It would definitely be the, the most in some time taken in the first round. That wouldn't surprise anybody because this is supposed to be the deepest draft that we've seen at the wide receiver position in decades. And it's, you know, it's one of those things where I think for Devin DuVernay, what people were forced to do, and I don't know how many interviews he's done, these virtual interviews, those are happening constantly. All mm-hmm. right? So constantly, God, they're... they're these guys are Zooming with teams, and I, I don't know how many they can talk to now with the virtual chats because they can't have the workouts and all that kind of stuff. But maybe that's part of why his draft stock is increasing. But I think it's basically because teams have been forced to go back to the film. they got to go back to the film. they got to go figure out, all right, you know what, let me just go look at Devin DuVernay's film. And if you go back and look at the film this year, I mean, there was no team that found a way to stop Devin DuVernay consistently. Yeah. Uh, mostly the scheme would limit Devin DuVernay. And I think in the NFL now, where you're starting to see these, they, they compare him to Tyreek Hill, these, uh, these hybrid players. Debo Samuel is one, the 49ers use him really well. I think the, the Rams, they really wanted to use their wide receivers like that. You go look at Robert Woods, he'll usually have around close to 20 rushes. They wanted Brandon Cooks before all the injuries. The Rams wanted him because he's a 30-40 guy. A guy that in college had at least 30 rushes and 40 receptions in the season. He can, he can, he can take a handoff in the backfield if you have him flexed out or you have him tight in a bunch formation, whether it be a jet sweep or whether it be a quick handoff. Yeah. It's almost a throwback to the wing T formations. That's what Debo Samuel and the 49ers do. He's basically kind of a wing back. And those are basically wide receivers with running back tendencies. And that's Devin DuVernay. He's a wing back. And I think he's one of those guys that if you utilize him in the right system and you, you put him in a system where every now and then he can be a part of the backfield action, whether it be as a jet sweep guy or whether it be as a bunch formation, tight and flex, you can hand the ball off to David DuVernay because 60% of all of his targets with Texas, and he had, I don't know, 130, 100 around there targets, somewhere around yeah, there. I don't have the exact number. I got to go look, look through my phone and get it. But he had a ton of targets. 60% of those targets were within five yards of the line of scrimmage. Long handoffs. And when he got the ball, even guys like Grant Delpin, LSU, they couldn't tackle him. And those are guys who will be drafted in the second round along with, or, you know, Caleb on Chase on. They'll be drafted in the second round, maybe even the first round. And Devin Duvernay, I think, is getting some respect because teams are going back to the film. His film is extremely impressive. And he was underutilized here at Texas. When you talk about the film too, Rod, uh, Matt, I Matt, actually, go ahead if you want to make it. Oh, no, just uh, I rewatched that LSU game. And, like, that's the type of game where you're talking about the film that you put out there. Like, just him ability against not only Delpit multiple times breaking tackles, but 
the hands that you see all the way throughout the season. But when you're talking about just somebody going and look back at the tape, that's something that's going to stand out. And then, like, you explained his skill set, but it's actually a truly unique skill set. There isn't a player in the league like him where you can find a guy that is, like, say, runs with power, but has great hands, but also has top-end speed, but also multiple-position versatility. There are ones that are comparable, but it's very rare nowadays to find somebody that you're like, oh, man, he has sort of a unique set of tools that none of these other receivers have now. Not to say that he's better than them in all of them, but it is a way to just diversify or separate oh, no yourself question. from everybody else. So oh, yeah. having that ability is huge. And then just when you look at the way that like individual games, he stepped up his consistency. And yeah, then yeah. like even that LSU game, you remember he had, I believe, one reception the entire first half, and then he came out the second half and took it over, and like he was the best player on the field. So whenever you're talking about looking at film tape and yeah. what you're left with, those are the type of things that will make him propel himself. And that's why I said he was limited by the scheme because, you know, the Oklahoma game, the Oklahoma game might have been the most disappointing game in terms of Duvernay's production. Just off the top of my head, i got to go back and look at it. But the Oklahoma game, he didn't do much because Oklahoma knew exactly what the scheme was. Yep. Yeah. They knew exactly how Texas was going to use him. They were waiting for all of those screens. And that was before they figured out, oh, let's let Devin Duvernay from the slot run the slot fade. They hadn't been doing that very often. You know what I mean? And that slot fade was... You know, I mean, that was big. They ran it with Jake Smith, I think, in that game. Mm-hmm. And he was wide, LSU was wide open. But I think it, it was, was a beautiful enough. throw. Open enough, and then they didn't make the connection. But you got a guy like Duvernay, 719 yards after the catch, uh, 465 yards after contact, I believe, 23 forced missed tackles. That was more than Debo Samuel had when his last year in college. I think that's what teams are looking at. And I think Debo Samuel, Tyreek Hill, guys who fit that mold, they – they help make Devin DuVernay some money because now teams, at least they know how to use a guy like Devin DuVernay. And it was Steelers Depot that did an insane breakdown on DuVernay, if y'all haven't looked at it. And I think it was 129 total targets like he had on the season. But okay. when you look overall at his uh, contextualized catches between the hash marks in the middle of the field, and that's something that you don't always see. That's like an area where not only does it show that like in traffic or you can withstand a beating, but also – Mentally, you understand you're on the same page as your quarterback. So those type of things. 47 catches inside the hash marks is insane. And that's almost, we can almost all picture him just getting inside before the safety comes down and Ellinger being able to find it. was almost as if he had to know the ball was going to be there right the second he came out of the break and just to put your hands out and be ready for yeah. it. Rod, I think the variety of film probably helps him too because you think of later in the year, the TCU game is one that stands out, yep. uh, Texas Tech, and then the bowl game. A lot of vertical stuff, a lot more vertical stuff. Are going to be are going to be yeah. on those those three games in particular. Agreed. I know there was there was other games in there. Um, no, but then it, some of that stuff. it culminates in the you know the uh, the game against Tech uh, Utah. Yeah, right. That's when they basically all of his stuff was vertical. They I think it was out, three like, slot fades. I think that was the only <laughs> three balls that like, caught that game. Slot fades. Thank you. All right. Then they, I guess they one was kind of a little like a little like a pole, like a corner in the corner. Okay, route, maybe but, right. Yeah. yeah, but they were deeper routes. It wasn't all the screens within five yards of line of scrimmage. So, going to your point, versatility. That film shows you, and hey, man, he can do it. He can do the long handoffs if you need that kind of guy. If you need him to stretch the field, he can do that. Contested catches, as Matt said, yards after the catch. I I just think. He, I don't know if there's anything that he and he can't do. I don't know if he does everything in an elite level, but I don't think Edward, he's elite. not a great route runner, in my opinion. I think if you want to criticize him, he's not a great route runner, and he's not his hips aren't very fluid. 
because that's, you know what I mean? You Tightness just, in the hips. Yeah, you know what I mean? If you want to be uber critical, but you look past that because you go, man, I know I can teach them how to run a route. Like, that is a teachable thing. And running routes is just the art of creating separation. You know a guy that runs a 439 and has his type of skill set can create that separation. And there's 129 total targets, I guess, after the bowl game. Three drops, okay. according to Pro Football Focus, out of yeah, one, 129. Like, that's an amazing catch rate right there. I would say, and it's closer to two. I remember one of those. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think I, one, one of them was like a highly They write about it right here contested. that one of them he wouldn't even consider a drop. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I think I remember that because there were very few of them. You can remember that. I want to say there was like a – comebacker in the West Virginia game where it was, I want to say Sam's, it's one of those throws, right? I want to say it was like, uh, like hash to opposite, opposite boundary mm-hmm. to the field side. Yeah. And like, I don't think it quite got there. It was like a low throw. Yeah. Yeah. That was one off the top of my head. I'm thinking of no, that. Yeah, yeah. That could be, I could be completely wrong. Very few, man. Very few. Uh, but let me say this too, Rod. When we talk about film, I think the film has got to be helping Colin Johnson at this point, too, because we sat here right around the combine, and we're like, oh, he needs a pro day, he's going to drop. But it seems like, and I've seen uh, Mike Lombardi, I think, was talking about it, and I've seen other you know, guys that are in the, the, the analysis guys, the analysts, if you will, for, for the networks, for ESPN and the NFL Network, some of their insiders are saying teams now are more likely just going to trust the film more than anything because you don't have pro day numbers to go off of, and you, you can't really go off of some of these workouts, so you've got to trust the film. And as a result... We're seeing draft projections for Colin Johnson go from, man, maybe he's sixth-round guy. Last time Matt Miller from Bleach Report, for example, put out a seven-round mock, he had Colin Johnson going to the fourth round. So mm-hmm. I think the film, Rod, is probably going to help him. And there's games where when you start looking at some of these other guys, like if you go – if you're a team and you end up doing a deep dive on Jeff Gladney, for example, yeah. the corner of the TCU, you're going to run into some good Colin Johnson film mm-hmm. doing a deep dive on Jeff Gladney. And some of these other guys. So and AJ Green, Oklahoma State, or something like that. Maybe you can. Yeah, and and, and let's face it. I mean, there's there's enough Oklahoma. There's enough good there. film of Colin Johnson out there that if you're in the scouting department yeah. pulling for him to be drafted, well, you can put together five to six minutes of just otherworldly stuff. So I, I think it helps these Texas guys, right? Because when you're at a program like Texas, you you're, the, you're gonna play good competition. You're gonna have quality film out there. I think it's going to help all these guys, even a guy like Malcolm Roach or Zach Schaufer, who might be six, seventh round pick, priority free agent type guy. That's going to help those guys get a second look because now you've got again, if you're doing that deep of a dive into the film, you have to. You're good. Yes, you're going to come across bad stuff, but you're also going to come across some of their good stuff too. What else are you doing, your scout right now? There is nothing else to do but just sit mm-hmm. there and just go deep, deep diving on a prospect and on. You can fall in love with a guy like Colin Johnson if you go deep enough into the film. You go look at all the Cirque du Soleil catches and the catch radius, and he's got and he and I'm with you. He plays faster than he actually is. He's like a little Jordan Humphrey, and that's why if this had happened to little Jordan Humphrey, he would have got drafted if the COVID nineteen crisis happened. But he ran his forty, mm-hmm. and as I've said before, I would never draft a wide receiver ran a four seven either. You run a four seven, I ain't drafting you to play wide receiver. Sorry. Right. Right. You can't and play wide out for me. To your and point, I think for Colin, Colin is Jerry Rice. Exactly. I was saying, but, 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 yeah, dif- to, but different, yeah, different, exactly, different football just, too. But though. to your point, though, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's not yeah. necessarily it's, needed. It's necessarily, you know, I, am a, I don't think speed necessarily makes you or breaks you as a great route yeah. runner and wide receiver, but I probably wouldn't draft a wide receiver who ran a 4 7. And that's what happened in Lil Jordan Humphrey. Ran 4 7. 4 7 5. And it was like, all right, you know I what? He's well. off our board. And if Colin Johnson had run high 4 6, Honestly, a lot of teams would have been like, man, he's, also, mm-hmm. he's off our board. But he didn't have a chance to run that. So if you watch the film, you go, 
you know what? I think he looks like he runs a four five. And then the and senior then, bowl <laughs> workouts, like you and the have senior those, bowl workout, he plays faster. Just like little little Jordan plays way faster, or at least played way faster than a four seven. Mm-hmm. But that's not I a four. He ran a four seven nine. Too, it's crazy. Well, that I seen fun. him run away from DBs. Four four eight, right? And, and that's why I brought up Jerry Rice the yeah. second you said that because I always heard the thing you. Yeah, Jerry Rice Rice. ran a four seven, but he was never caught from behind on any of those. That was that's actually freakier too. In the perfect system, but yeah, Jerry Rice ran the four sevens, getting caught from behind. You know, so when you when you hear that, at least you're like, yeah, there you go. That means or that means route running is an art form, and you can learn it. And Jerry Rice, exactly because of his football IQ and football acumen. You can figure it out. Foot, first step, yeah. footwork, things like that. Yeah. Just being able to what we Leverage. talk about, how Quandre Diggs is able to make it as a, just safety, playing balls to the wall mm-hmm. in the NFL. Like he's limited physically by the NFL standards, but he makes up for it because he's anything ingrained that's football one hundred and one is Quandre Diggs, and you can make that up if you are diagnosing as fast as possible. You're right about your yeah. diagnosis, and you have that natural ability just. To have angles and understand it's a second nature that comes to you, and that's how you can make those guys perform totally. higher than their, say, track times put them at. No doubt. Before we wrap up the draft talk, I'll say this. Brandon Jones, uh, I heard when he was in training before the facility he was working out at in Dallas got shut down, uh, ran a four four one laser. Pretty good. It's really good. So – He's another guy that I think has put him with what he did at the combine. And we know the, the deal. We're not going to get back into it. But the, the notebook with mm-hmm. his research on all 32 defenses, et cetera, et cetera. All of that stuff. Um, he's put himself in a position where I think he's probably, I've seen him go anywhere from like late third to early fifth. So somewhere in that late day two, early day three. Mix. So Brandon Jones is going to get drafted. And at this point, Rod, I feel safe saying this. If I'm going to bet on something in this draft, Texas will win. The New England Patriots are picking a player from the University of Texas in this draft. <laughs> really? Because, keep in mind, Tom Herman said went out of his way to say one of the phone calls he fielded recently was a call from Bill Belichick asking about all the draft prospects. And there's one of these Texas prospects, Bill I won't say which one, that I've been told talked to the entire Patriots staff on Ooh. their respective side of the ball, including Bill Belichick. I bet I can guess. So I'm not going to say which one. I don't want to play the guess. I think because I predicted one player would go with Patriots would be interested in. I bet but it's that guy. I that that is my bet. That is my my prediction in this draft. The New England Patriots will leave this draft with a player from the University of Texas as part of their draft. If, if I said Malcolm Rhodes looks like a New England Patriot late in the sixth round, makes sense somewhere there where nobody else is valuing him, but. He's done the research about dad being a coach. Mm-hmm. You know, even in high school and in college, played yeah. every position on the defensive front. And then you go to the combine, and his combine, his next gen athletic score, he's one of the most athletic defensive linemen in the combine. I believe mm-hmm. he's top five. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is like, I think Belichick's like, oh, whoa, what? And, oh, is- and then nobody, nobody's going to value him because he's going under the radar and he didn't even get invited to the combine. It's like, oh, you know, I'm oh, sorry, he did get invited to the combine, but he had, he was one of the undervalued guys that was invited to the combine. And he's the so. type of body type that seems to be yeah. one that, I mean, his only issue was he was didn't have the body coming out of high school of an NFL D tackle. But there's yeah. everything else involving him with the physicality to mm-hmm. like the ability to put on lean muscle where now you get to the point that 
you actually have packed on weight and now you just have this massive yeah. amount of strength that is good strength that's going in the areas that you need it to be dispersed and then like you already said it being a coach's kid in the football like he fits every box you want to check it's if you're a patriot game. yeah no it, it would be quite the alignment but i mean let's say the same thing with a guy like hell duvernay may just have be going too high but he's the perfect type of guy that they would want to value because he can be that because think about belichick wanting to take that next step to who we well we don't know what the offense will look like post brady but the ability to have a guy to throw out of the backfield but also be able to use in the slot and you turn down welkers to your edelmans to Duvernay can play multi-roles there to where I could easily see him falling in love with a handful of guys from Texas. Uh, before we get to Tom Herman's uh, Texas tailgate virtual chat, as we called it, with us at Forms 24-7, Rod, this is one of the stories that we kind of left in the off-season muck, if you will, when coronavirus pandemic kind of took everything over. <laughs> you ever wonder what happened with David Beatty in Texas? Why that thing? Well, I didn't. thought it was because Kansas basically there, there was a contract dispute uh, between David Beatty and Kansas, right? Okay, because so th- he he wanted them that to was pay. part of it. Yeah, that was part of it. And but there's a lot. There's the I know legal that, that, action. Yeah, that's a lot. But of this stuff. is a report uh, by in part by Jesse Newell, who covers KU sports for the Kansas City Star. Right. And I'll read from the headline: uh, Former Kansas. And this, this actually, as we're recording this, this came out this morning. I think it was oh, actually published. Uh, published about less than two hours ago at this point. Uh, Former Kansas Jayhawks football coach David Beatty testified in February that he was offered a job with the Texas Longhorns until the school's top athletic administrator received a warning from KU's athletic director. Beatty said during a February deposition that he was offered an analyst position by Texas football head coach Tom Herman and moved to Austin, even receiving a university ID number before Texas Athletics Director Chris Del Conte decided to call KU Athletic Director Jeff Long as a courtesy, quote, Jeff stated at that point, quote, I wouldn't do that if I was you. His behavior is egregious, Beatty testified. It was definitely level one in terms of the violation Beatty was alleged to have committed in Kansas. Uh, and that, I think, made Mr. Del Conte take pause. So, what was makes the, sense. What was the- I mean, what was the charge? That was the allegation of what? I guess Kansas has kept that in. Uh, level one. This is level specific. one is a reference to the most serious type of violation in the long-winded NCAA manual. Beatty, Beatty, however, was accused of a less serious level two infraction, which was self-reported by KU to the NCAA. I think it was mm-hmm. having an, an analyst uh, actually serving in a coaching role or something like that, not one of your counter coaches, counter, you know, no, whatever. Right. Uh, but basically, if you want to know what happened to David Beatty, it sounds like it got that far. CDC didn't want to deal with the headache. Yeah, I mean, of, of some of the ramifications that could possibly come up. I mean, honestly, like how, if you're if you're in his position, it's not worth. Would it. you do it for an analyst? Yeah, it's not worth. If it, it was a coordinator, well, you know, yeah, maybe yeah. if it may carry baggage over to yeah. you, and yeah, like then if he's hired by you and then is investigated, even though it's at another school, it's not like it's a show cause issue, but it can connect you. Something that you don't need to necessarily have technically on your coaching books. That's PR problem, yeah. basically. Yeah, and I just got to work for the NCAA to resolve it, I'm sure. And that sucks because the NCAA is 
got other issues. And I love how they phrased it. It was you know a courtesy mean, for, for at least you to get your clean record so that another team will bring you in. That's gonna that's baggage that's gonna haunt you for a while. And the thing about Texas, like you already gave them the entry card, you're ready to go. And he's like, let me get this courtesy call to Kansas. And it's like, well, courtesy call. It's like it sounds like you maybe didn't do your due diligence to look into why you're hiring this guy. Yeah. Well, because he probably already had the you know the approval of Tom Herman and all that kind of stuff. It's like, oh no, we're good. He was a coach at Kansas. Yeah. It's a contract dispute. I, you know, they, they probably think thinking to themselves, there's no reason for us to think there's something sinister. And then they get a call and they're like, no, no, we live there is this, something sinister. We live in the world of unwritten rules until, yeah. like, then you can't still signs with technology, but you can still signs before and they're all unwritten. And then, like, yeah. when there's unwritten rules all throughout college sports and stuff, it allows for it then... You have these areas like a courtesy call whenever you're dealing with technicalities, and it's like, ah, actually, there's here's, litigation issues. We shouldn't be doing that. Here's the the part, basically, what we're talking about here, and this is again in the Jesse Newell story in the Kansas City Star. Uh, long dismissed Vady in 2018 after another losing uh, season at the helm of the Kansas football program. A firing originally done quote without cause, contractually, and with three million dollar owed to the coach under his mm-hmm. agreement. Kansas Athletics then suspended and later terminated Beatty's payout amid a self-reported investigation into whether Beatty's video coordinator was coaching Jayhawks quarterback in violation of NCAA rules, limiting the number of people authorized to provide instruction to players. Beatty is suing Kansas, seeking the $3 million owed to him. That's basically And this goes back to the comment, uh, I forgot who reported it, but there was Jeff Long allegedly told somebody they were looking for, like, the hooker in the closet. They're looking for a reason. And they they needed a reason so they didn't have to pay him three million or they didn't want to pay him three million dollars, which is like these days. I mean, that's kind of the cost of doing business. When you fire a coach, everybody's got a price tag. You got to fire the guy. You got to pay him. Yeah. That's ultimately that's kind of saved some guys' job too. The payout people don't want to pay the payout. No, and then you find one technicality. Aha! We don't have to pay you three million dollars. Yeah. Had a coach talk to somebody on a. But now he's got to wait to see if the NCAA. So it's a. Is it actually like the did the NCAA decide? Okay, you did violate the no, rules. No, no, no. And that they. Well, that was so Kansas they, self reported. That's what I'm saying. So now they have to wait for the conclusion of it to decide whether his his lawsuit is actually valid. And that ain't gonna happen. And that ain't gonna happen for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so, right? David Beatty ain't got a job. If it's not an NCAA violation and they don't get like penalized for it, then Beatty can argue, whoa, 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 whoa. They just made that up just so that I could get it. But if they are penalized for it by the NCAA, that would back up Kansas' claim that, yes, we had cause. Yeah. This guy was doing dirt that was going to affect us in the future. So it's, oh, man, it's a fuster club. And that's why they self-reported <laughs> it. They wanted to get him out. Yeah, you go. So just a little David Beatty update uh, <laughs> in the middle of our draft talk and our Tom Herman talk, which I think, I mean, I'll agree at this point. Like, I think Tom Herman with the new hires – uh, you know, on the analysts, I think they're probably pretty good with Mike Yurcich on yeah. the offense, Rod. No doubt, getting, getting the the creative juices flowing. Which again, you, you talked about scouts don't have anything to do but watch film. That's all Mike Yurcich has to do right now is sit back and when I mean, you want to evaluate personnel, hell, you've got 13 games of film to watch from last year. Go ahead and get after it. Just come up with very creative ways to use different players. It's tough because now you can only if you are going to say you're going to. Start. You got so much time in here. He's like, man, I might as well just start game plan. Hell, mm-hmm. I might as well just start. I mean, I gotta yeah. go down the rabbit hole. Um, obviously, you're not game planning for specific teams. Game planning in terms of the internal, intrinsic way. Like, who? What's our identity? Who mm-hmm. are we gonna be now? You gotta go with your proven commodities and the things that you know that you have, and you don't have that many of them on offense to go. So you basically are building the offense around Sam Ellinger. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the only real – Big advantage for Texas this year. No, it is. I was like, If you get football yeah, this year, Sam Ellinger's a huge advantage. You can build advantage. that offense around just Sam's really good skill set now. And, and we've talked about how versatile he is as a running back who can be a, a dual-threat guy, but it's in a different way, more as a physical runner and expanding the quarterback run game. And, I mean, you just can get creative. I, I would just be hypothesizing and theorizing. I call myself a football theorist. I think Jeff is too. Um, hell, I should I should trademark the damn term because I'm sure at the while people are gonna start using it. But be a football theorist now and look at you know I I, I got a chance to catch you guys at your Tom Herman tailgate roundup whatever it was and it was awesome by the way. And uh, he he talked about Jordan Whittington and Jake Smith and that probably was my favorite part of it. And it's probably ninety I don't know probably ninety seconds or two minutes where. I don't know if he's been listening. I got to, the quote right here. You got the quote. I don't know if he's been listening yeah. to the to Rod Beyond the Blitz or listening to all my <laughs> breakdown on the Rodcast. But dude, I swear he was speaking to me. I felt like I was at church. You know, you go to church I'm not and, lying. I felt and the that Reverend before. has a sermon, and then it feels like I was like, "Is this sermon for me? That this is specifically you, you? You are moving me with the Holy Spirit right now." That's how I felt. He started talking about, well, if we bring out Jordan, you can read the quote, but we bring out Jordan Winnington and Jake Smith, and we use those two guys as a running back, a wide receiver. It's all about 20 personnel morphing into 10 personnel, and I swear it was it was orgasmic for me. Like, I was losing it, man. I got really, really excited. I'll say right now, I think Tom Herman's listens to the show because I've noticed that impression. Oh he's hit God. bullet points that we've heard, so hopefully he's listening. I love it, So, uh, the question, amazing. so this, the world for the rest of the show, we'll talk about the Texas tailgate virtual oh. chat we did with Tom Herman. And again, thank you to Tom Herman for his time, and this was something that uh, unique opportunity we were approached with. And, uh, Chip did a great job. The, uh, yeah, Chip Brown hosted it. We're Told, you know, hey, can you guys get, uh, you know, we were asked by the powers of be in Texas, hey, can you guys make it a video component? So, talk to Taylor Essence and Travis. Travis Cohn, the best damn videographer in the podcast game. Was, Travis uh, hooked huge us up. Huge assist. The Blitz on that. Plans, baby. Uh, yeah, so we made it happen and, and everybody working together and it was it was awesome. Uh, but the question was, that was posed to Tom Herman was, you know, about Jordan Whittington's health and then now that he's going to be cross training and running back and then now moving to wide receiver. Uh, how does that expand the offense? This is the quote, Rod. Are you ready? Or are you like? No, I mean, do it again. Can you I mean, control it's like, yourself? Yeah, it's like women, you know, and you know, reading Fifty Shades of Grey. Go ahead. I think the cross training really allows you to maybe be in some ten personnel if you consider him Whittington a wide receiver. Him and Jake kind of both in the slot, but maybe the next snap, Jay Witt is in the backfield. You're in a twenty personnel set, but with four wide receivers on the field, depending on what you classify Jay Witt as. Mm-hmm. Exactly what you want to hear. Wow. I got to Oh, I, I really did. I got kind of chills. I got to tell you. And he put it, both of them in the slot. Oh, think about that. We literally have been talked about how these guys will make you multiple if you can utilize them. And we found out what the H means. And maybe I'm the only idiot who didn't know that. So it's about how the H it stands for hybrid. Yeah. And the H position in his offense, in the pro spread, it's always was, it was always meant to be a hybrid player. And that it's shifted from from team to team. Sometimes it's, it's out of necessity that you know, oh man, I gotta have this guy. So I can tell when he got to Texas. Sometimes you know, it was Armani Foreman early on, and then well, you know what? It's Lil Jordan Humphrey. He's versatile, but not ideal. But you know what? He's the best H we got right now. And then it was Duvernay, and that guy's extremely productive. But then uh, you know they're not ideal. These two guys, Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington. Or the ideal H's when he envisioned the pro spread H position, the hybrid position, 
these are the types of players that he was thinking about. It was a, a Christian McCaffrey light in Jake Smith, and it's a Jordan Whittington who could end up being, you know, your Alvin Kamara type player or whatever you need to be. I mean, you make the – I didn't mean to make a white-to-white guy. Uh, <laughs> it just naturally happened. We're all, happened to a we're all a little racist, and I sorry that came out to me. I apologize. But you get my point. I mean, we've talked about this, and I think this is now – the, the, the perfect players, his, the perfect guy, the perfect skill sets that he wants for those hybrid positions. So I'm excited, man. That That is, that's big time. That is, that's, that's, that's next level, man. That's, that's where the NFL is going. We're going to position flex. We're going to hybridism on defense, Isaiah Simmons on offense. I mean, that's where football is going. That's the next phase of it. But there are so many different levels to it and layers to it. The, uh, that was, and I, I put this in article form at Horns 24-7 if anybody wants to go read it. Uh, I put together everything Tom Herman said about strictly personnel. Because I know anytime you do one of these chats, that's what everybody really wants, especially right that's now when we've got no spring ball. Everybody wants to personnel, personnel, personnel. That's the meat. But, Rod, the number one thing that I mentioned, and it came earlier in the, in the, in the, the session, which is kind of why it went first in the article, yeah. Talking about the, the transfer portal, specifically grad transfers, and yeah, what Texas is looking session. at. Looking at yeah. Still mentioned linebacker still a priority. They're still going to look in the portal for a linebacker. And he mentioned, and I'll, I'll, here's his quote about linebacker, uh, especially moving to a four-man front, which everybody, if you're on the four-man front train, congratulations for you. <laughs> especially moving to a four-man front, and Joseph Osai and Byron Vaughn's being moved down to the line of scrimmage. We're really thin and inexperienced. It doesn't worry me. I hate to use that term. But it's one position that I'll be watching the most for some guys to step up and take the bull by the horns, talking about linebacker. Rod, we talked about it at nauseum. Mm-hmm. I mean, this hasn't been made official, but uh, I think the, the guys in Inside Texas reported, and we can very much confirm, uh, Tyler Owens is at least going to get a look at linebacker now. They're going to see really? what that looks like. Yeah. At will, too, just like Overshow? Yeah. Wow, and I didn't I th- know that. I think right now, Rod, it's a situation hmm. where we, and we talked about the issues okay. you've got there, right? So your two most experienced guys, Juwan Mitchell and Delia Dayaway, we found you can't play them in this league together at the same time. You just can't. Unless yeah. you're playing like a K-State or something like that, you just can't. You just not. And even there's then. There's a mismatch. There's a matchup nightmare out there. For right. You. Even then, you can still potentially get exposed. Uh, you know, you've got David Benda, who's a redshirt freshman, didn't hardly play last year. Marcus Tillman coming off a knee injury. Marvin Overshone moves spinning down the linebacker, which I think we all agree could be a really good thing for him. And then you throw Tyler Owens into that mix. Right? I think they're just taking a look at inside linebackers saying, we're just going to throw as much stuff at the wall as we can, throw as many guys at this problem, and at some point maybe you come out with a resolution. I love the idea. Uh, it gets back to the position flex we were just talking about. That's why you know, you rec- I-, I love the idea of DeMarvion Overshone and Tyler Owens at least spending time and learning the linebacker position because I think they're so young. And their, their, their bodies are still growing. I mean, those guys are long, rangy, and athletic. Who knows, by the time they're, you know, seniors and juniors, you know, you may have those guys playing, you know, different positions during the season. And being able to, not, I'm not saying they're Isaiah Simmons, but being able to use them in that capacity. Right. And I think B.J. Foster also can fit there. And in the Big 12, honestly, that's ideal. Yeah. For those guys to be able to do that, and then you can almost morph back and forth between sub-packages. Uh, but... I, I think for for uh, for Texas at linebacker, yeah, you want to experiment, but man, it's it sucks. It really does. You don't have an off season now. You want to experiment, you know, with these guys, and you don't have spring football to to test a guy out at a certain position and see if he works there. 
right now you got to base your model on proven commodities, what you know about it, what your last time had with these guys in football really act related activities was the bowl game. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of your, you know, really that's your source right now of, all right, projection. All right, let me see what I can this guy play, uh, you know, middle linebacker? Can he play outside linebacker? Can, can this guy play guard and tackle? You're basing it off of that. And, you know, guys mature, guys grow, especially some of the young guys. There's a lot of growth there. So that's my concern with the experimentation. But I'm with you. Find any and all options. Just, just throw them out there because right now that is your weakest position. And Tom Herman said that. He was asked, you know, what position are you most concerned about? And he's like, linebacker, mm -hmm. no doubt. So he's echoing the same sentiment that Longhorn fans have. And it was something that we hit on, you know, last week, and we talked about just sort of that position being the area that would be best if you were deficient at it. But I remember I was talking, like, this was back in February in one of the shows whenever it was ESPN's Bill Connolly put together a thing just talking about over the years all the models he studied and to see what returning production in college and what mm -hmm. it results in. And basically on offense, if you return more than 60% of your production, it's pretty safe. Like, you have a two-point – improvement or more baseline if you go from 60% returners. But if you have less than that, it's at least three points that you are worse offensively than you were to where there's a clear five-point difference once you start returning yeah. more than three-fifths of it. But are you talking about like points per game or like a percentage yeah, just points overall, on scale? Well, first off, this is just on your points per game, just okay, production, okay. just on a baseline. But so offense is really correlated strictly to – returning production, but defense wasn't. Defense every year was more erratic, and his formula ended up coming back that it didn't even matter the returning production. He only valued 37% of it goes to the DBs, only 5% of it to the D-line, none to the linebackers, mm. and the rest comes back on your full defense in, like, impact situations, like that other 15% was tackles for loss, 33% was off of passes defended, and it really showed – where the secondary is the one area that you can't afford to have to, to refill really, really everybody. Yeah. And it's the best place to return production because, mm. in theory, if you're going to have the direct correlation mathematically that the secondary gets 37% of returning production and the DL is five, it isn't saying that you're seven times more valued, but just that replacing that secondary member yeah. could be that much tougher because it so much depends on that. And then you're talking about in the Big 12. So not only in this odd yeah. situation sure. for the coronavirus where some schools, if you don't, if you had a QB battle going into the fall or going into the spring, you're screwed right now. You don't know what the hell you're going to do. You have no continuity. Texas just coincidentally happens to be in a spot where you have a senior, one of the best quarterbacks in all the football returning. Yeah. It's huge. That's going to put you ahead of the game already. And then yes, you have a lot of experience coming back. So you can hit in Texas right now is at 66% uh, that they have returning on offense, which is a 62nd in the nation, but it's above that threshold where you could say, ah, you may be actually a little improved compared to last year instead of being deficient on the offensive side. On the defensive side, Texas returning 82%. Of yeah. the guys and that's in the huge. secondary and where's the biggest questions at the one area where you can afford it and then the one place that's your, big, that your biggest strength and it ends up going across this is returning production not okay. necessarily starts but like if you were to go yeah. and get your yeah. returning tackles for right. Right. Returning all stuff, and yeah. all those things Splash plays. exactly so whenever you go and look at it texas is sort of set up to where texas's strengths are in the areas that are going to correlate to the most success and you're in the one year where you have no preparation, so having veterans in those roles is even better.
that is backed up by just some NFL analytics that say uh, they're trying to compare you know, what's more important on the defense, pass rush or coverage. Mm-hmm. And most of the analytics say that coverage is more important than pass rush, which mm-hmm. it, it, it flies in the face of what we have been you know, led to believe. And, yeah. and, I, and I think, by the way, I think both can work. I think yeah. There are plenty of ways to skin a cat. I think you've got to figure out one way to, to perfect it, though. Perfect the pass rush like the 49ers have done or perfect the secondary like the Patriots have done. You got to figure out how to perfect coverage or perfect pass rush. Trying to do both, you're probably going to fail. Yeah. And I think to your point, though, in the NFL, all the analytics are saying, no, no, go with coverage. Coverage mm-hmm. is is cheaper to get coverage. It's easier to get coverage. All that kind of stuff. You'd be better off trying to prioritize that. And to your point, football now is also college and NFL football. There's no NFL offense and a college offense. They all look the same. It's all Big Twelve football. And, yeah, secondary, baby. Yeah. That's what you should be investing in. And if you look yeah. at just straight up at the numbers, basically in college, Coverage. the correlation, you're going to get about 70% via the secondary and passes defended, about 20% from tackles for loss, which includes sacks, anything behind the line of scrimmage and returning production on the D-line. That's 90% yeah. of your defense, according to Bill Conner. I think it's just tougher to find really good D-line. We had a discussion last there, time. There are it's a few just, humans. It, yeah, humans that are Chase Youngs. Like, <laughs> Ohio athletic. State is amazing. I mean, to get the Bosa's and then Chase Youngs, yeah. like, they just keep them, they just keep pumping them out. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's hard to they do. They Hayward before that. Yeah, like, it's really hard to do. So, most, that's that's tough to do. I think it's easier to find guys that can cover because, hell, that's how, 707 is how young, young skill guys are coming mm-hmm. up. Yeah. I'm glad we talked about coverage because, Rod, when Tom Herman, and I'll get to the other position group he mentioned as a strength, but when he's talking about position groups that are strength, he mentioned the secondary. A lot of that has to do with the way they've recruited the last few cycles. But here's an interesting quote. Uh, He said, we haven't done a great job developing them. They've also been really young, but I think those guys provide a lot of depth and athleticism. It's really weird how fast time flies, Rod, in a college football cycle, but we're going into a 2020 season where Jalen Green, Anthony Cook, Deshaun Jameson, B.J. Foster, Caden Stearns, these guys will be draft eligible already after this season. Not that they're all going to have that decision to make, mind you, but they'll all be draft eligible. No, they have a a Deshaun Elliott-type season. Yeah, exactly. It just makes me feel old because I remember when I was 18, I thought being 21 was so far away. It's like now you're like, oh, that, that's quick. It's gone. It's clear. That's now in my life, I'm closer to 40 than I am 30. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. Hey, me life. too, man. That's we all are. I'm feeling bad about myself. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, Rod, when you he look at Tom Herman say that, I think it's a challenge to Chris Ash and Jay Valai to say, hey, you as the safeties coach, you as the corners coach, we're giving you guys that have legitimate NFL ceilings based on how we thought of them as prospects. Can you guys get them to their ceiling? And I think – you know, Barton Simmons did an article at 24-7 Sports looking at how the rosters that, you know, whether you've had a coaching change or a coordinator change, kind of grading how they fit. And he thinks, and I think we can all agree with this, the change to Chris Ash's defense could really benefit Jalen Green and Deshaun Jamison because yeah. they're natural press physical corners. Uh, but, Rod, this is a big year for that secondary. I mean, like, they, yes, they did deal with injuries last year. Like, you can't deny that. But I think – Anybody listening to this, watching it, that's followed this program can agree you got to get more out of that secondary than what you got last year. Considering the uh, the raw materials you brought in, uh, the amount of talent you brought in with that class in the secondary, you know, I'm with you. I think, they, well, this is the year because I don't want to put premature expectations on them. And those guys have played early. And Caden Stearns had one of the greatest seasons ever for any DB in the history of DBU as a true freshman. And he had one of the greatest seasons ever 
for a Texas football player as a true freshman. That was amazing. But since then, of course, he's had to deal with injuries. Uh, B.J. Foster's had to deal with injuries. Jamal Vion Overshone still trying to find his place, uh, you know, and trying to find how to best utilize him. So I'm with you. I mean, I think this is the year where there are no excuses for the coaches. How, how can you best weaponize those players? And I think specifically the safeties, man. I think the corners are going to have an easier trend, not easy transition, but I do have an easier. easier transition than the safeties. But these are safeties that, sh- that should be able to be implemented and-, and effective in any system. These are guys that anybody around the country would have loved to have gotten LSU or Ohio State and turned them into, you know, NFL, NFL players, guys that mm-hmm. should be drafted in the first second round, those types of players. The guys got that kind of ceiling. If Texas doesn't get that out of these guys, mm-hmm. that's a disappointment. Let me run this by you, Rod. When you're running a press course scheme like Chris Ash's, and, again, we talked about it. One of the things I like about Chris Ash, he's not married to a certain coverage, a certain way of mm-hmm. doing things. He's been a Tampa 2 guy. He's been yeah. a press course guy. That seems to look the same on the surface. Right, but let's assume, let's assume Texas is going to be more press quarters, which I think that it probably will be given the personnel. Yeah. Your safeties in a quarter scheme are more often than not going to be read players. And when you've got instinctive guys, and I'm, I'm taking B.J. Foster out of that conversation because I, I, just, I think, like you'd look at Tyler Owens, what we just talked about, you look at Tyler Owens or DeMarvin Overshaw, look at B.J. Foster and say, maybe he's more Isaiah Simmons for me. Maybe he's just a guy that doesn't have a position. We just put him out there at linebacker depth and, and let him be a three-down defender. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I think about the neat, like, read players and, and you've got to have instinctive guys, you have a really hard time finding a better safety tandem in the country than what you've got with Chris Brown and Caden Sterling. I mean, two guys that are real instinctive that uh, your safeties become critical to run support when you run that kind of scheme. Uh, you know, we talk about the corners having an easier transition, maybe not as cumbersome, but it's not like this scheme changes are going to take your safeties out of what they do. Well, I agree with you on that. Yeah. I mean, if you tweak it, you probably can tweak it where you can build it around their strengths. I mean, we know – tracking the football for Caden Stearns sideline to sideline. I mean, he's got a Earl Thomas-esque type ability to be able to track the football, and he's got a ball hawk in him. So maybe you want him reading the quarterback. Maybe you want him as your, you know, your, your free safety back there that can you know, uh, defend the deep ball, put an umbrella on the defense, but also be able to track down anything. And uh, for a guy like yeah, B.J. Fall or Chris Brown, I, lo- I love Chris Brown in the box. Chris Brown is awesome in the box. He's got great instincts. He, you know, I mean, he thinks quick. He's physical. Uh, so, yeah, maybe you want to have a situation. The LSU tape on him is great. It is. So you want to have more, you know, more situations where the concepts bring him down into the box. But obviously you don't want that. You don't want that to live that way. You want to be able to switch it up. But yeah. I think the safeties, you want to build this, the coverage concepts around their strengths. And it should be easy to do because they got a lot of strengths. B.J. Falses and Caden Stearns and Chris Brown, I mean, they do a lot of things well. Honestly, I'm trying to think. They, very few things I can think when they're healthy that they don't do well as safeties. And I mean, I, mean, I remember B.J. Locke telling me about B.J. Foster because remember, uh, I forgot, I think it was maybe Brandon Jones had Yeah, Brandon Jones had the ankle injury in 2018 in the Maryland game, missed the Tulsa game, and mm-hmm. B.J. Foster got the start. I remember talking to P.J. Locke about B.J. Foster, and he's saying, I don't. He's like. I don't think people realize how talented this guy is. I, I mean, he's he's good enough and smart enough to play over the top. Obviously, he's physical enough to play in the box, and we've seen him blitz. But he's also athletic enough to where if you need him to spin down in the nickel and cover somebody, so he's he's so well rounded. I, I think 
to me, Rod, of all those safeties, assuming like Tyler Owens and DeMarvin Overshone are in the linebacker group now to stay, because we know at least they're going to look at those guys there. And then Tom Herman did say they're planning on DeMarvin Overshone doing a lot of things at that will position. Yeah. But assuming those guys stay there, I think the safety you've really got to weaponize is B.J. Foster because as good as Caden Stearns and Chris Brown are, like we just talked about, that skill set for him is so unique. It's just it's really hard to envision like, man, you really hate to get to an end of the year and realize, hey, we wish we would have got more mileage out of that. We you don't want to say we left some meat on the bone with B.J. Mm-hmm. Foster. And I think now that he's healthy, maybe you can unlock him like we saw him start to get unlocked his freshman year. Yeah, no, I agree with you because I'm trying to think, you know, what different positions in the secondary different guys can play. I, if I'm looking at Caden Stearns, I think Caden Stearns can play the free safety. I think he can play nickel if you need him to play nickel too. Hell, I think Caden Stearns, even if you need him to play corner and go out there and play corner, I, I think he'd be pretty damn good. If he He's gets long and rangy, it, you would let him, you're not yeah, worried like, about a mismatch. And, and, and I look at a guy like B.J. Foster, and I feel sad. I think he can play nickel, dime, free safety, strong safety for you, and I think you can spin him down as a linebacker, basically, uh, either on the outside or spin him down as a linebacker. He's saying because he's, he's physical, he plays that way. So you start looking at the mentality. Sometimes, sometimes the mentality makes a guy multiple. Sometimes it's his skill set. It's their, you know, their body, whatever it is, um, their build. I think for B.J. Foster, I'm with you. I think he's a guy that probably should be just a defender. He's, he's a positionless player out there. Yeah. You know, I mean, he can play any position in the back seven. And That's what I would look at him as. This is why. This is part of the reason why, Rod, when they were recruits, I looked at him like this. I, and they were both five-star guys, so it's not like one was significantly better than the other. But I felt like Caden Stearns will be ready to play in college earlier. Mm-hmm. B.J. Foster will be the higher draft pick. That's how I viewed him coming, in, coming out of high school. Mm, I can see that because I can see. Your stereotypical safety yeah. body is like a son. Foster's built a little bit more durable, it seems. Like well, the athleticism for Stearns, it seems like not as if he's slender. It's just like in comparison, like Earl Thomas is a small safety. In like B.J. Foster's body type seem to be more traditional than Stearns. Stearns, like you're saying, it's almost built like Huff was. Like he's so long and lanky yes. and athletic that he sort of, I mean, and Huff could do all those things in college, yeah. like you said. No, I, I think I, I can see Caden Stearns getting pigeonholed as just a safety, even though I think Caden Stearns could do more. I think he's kind of, he's, he's that versatile. But I can see, like Huff, yeah. he's brought up, but getting pigeonholed in the NFL. And I can see if you use B.J. Foster right, I can see teams looking at him as just kind of a, not a, he's not a honey badger. But if you utilize him right and he is healthy enough, that he can play a, a number of positions out there for you. Like he could – he could be one of those. I like, look at Mika Fitzpatrick in the league, and yep. you know Jamal Adams in the league. Like he could be that kind of safety. Derwin, if he, Derwin James, Derwin James, that's another what, guy. That's what you know what I mean? Yeah. I think if you, he's ceiling, mm-hmm. looking at it, I think BJ. Uh, you know, Caden Stearns. I think he's going to be awesome. But Caden Stearns, yeah, I think he's more of a typical free safety and just in this build. Mm-hmm. Um, but hell, man, you could, I think Caden Stearns can play corner too or nickel. You guys know I think he can play nickel. He's done that for a while. While we're on those guys being the returning starters at Texas, Texas is. Production eighty two percent of start or production returning this year, and if you look at their baseline number, it says basically if you're at that eighty five percent returning production, it's a five point jump, and it's in their adjusted points that Bill Conley does compared to just your normal points per game. But that's a drastic improvement. Rod, you talked and about first year defensive coordinator, so we know it's even better. Defense is going to be top twenty, baby. We know that. <laughs> let that's the player, it is. player. So what do y'all run? Yeah. What do y'all like running? All right, let's Doesn't run matter, that. Baby. We know the D is going to be good this year. It's just recent history. We know that. 
Rod, yeah. you talked about the personnel quote Tom Herman had with Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington about showing some 20 looks and 10 looks. This is the one that got got my football pants stirred because it's been a, <laughs> it's been a long time. Stirred, eh? It's been so a long a lot time of movement. since uh, since it's, uh, since Texas has legitimately been able to say this. Tom Herman was asked about position groups he felt were strength. First group he said was quarterback. Mm. And his quote was, I would think that the depth at quarterback is going to be phenomenal. Wow. Another thing we talked about last phenomenal. week on the show. Wow. Holy Chicago. Yeah. Boys, we've come a long way from the – no disrespect to these guys because I like both these guys, but like the Tyrone Swoops v. Gerard Hurd debate, yeah. we've come a long way since then. Yeah, but that's because Tom Herman had a plan, guys. Tom Herman has recruited uh, multiple quarterbacks in two different recruiting classes now. Yeah. So Tom Herman's plan coming in, and I think it's yeah. it's echoing the way I felt about quarterback, the way we have talked about the quarterback position as it evolved the transfer mm-hmm. portal and uh, more players' rights at the college football level. You can never have too many quarterbacks. They're like socks and underwear, man. Just stockpile them. And at one point, you know, I don't know which one, but one of two of those quarterbacks is going to leave. Yeah. And you can't control that, by the way. There's a fifth, basically a 50-50 chance, a 50% mm-hmm. transfer rate for a blue-chip quarterback that you bring in. So just know when you bring them in, one of them is going to get unhappy because only one of them can play, and that other one will probably leave. Just, just keep them coming in. That's yeah. all you can do. And that's what I think Tom Herman has done. I think Tom Herman has been, honestly, he has been brilliant when it comes to the quarterback position. I think he is a big part of why Texas is no longer in quarterback hell. He, Shane Bouchelle, Sam Elling is a big part of it, but his philosophy won't allow Texas to get back there. Understands He's always going to have out The value options. of the quarterback. Yeah. You can't win without a quarterback in, in modern football. It's impossible. You used to be able to survive, and your Trent Dilfers can get mm-hmm. yourself just to the end of the line by barely winning. It's like it, that's basically – you could have an anomaly like that pop up, but you have to have Love a quarterback, it. and the value of compiling as many as you have – so not only are you never left without one, but then how you can then identify the best one within those, and you get two each year. And if you get three classes with two out of those, you better not have missed on all six of them because if you got one, that's all you got to do. Well, you're going to miss. Yeah, that's the like, point. You're going to miss. That's number one. They're going to be unhappy because they can't play the ones who aren't playing. That's number two. Guys are going to get hurt. That's number three. Uh, there's a transfer portal, so I mean it makes it easier for guys. And also there is, hey man, guys are just gonna they're gonna be bust. Yeah, very not it's not gonna transfer. So there is a there's more of a chance that your quarterback that you recruit isn't gonna work out mm-hmm. than it's gonna work out. So when you're recruiting guys, keep that in mind. Yeah. Be like, man, I, I'd recruit two quarterbacks on un- un- sometimes back to back years, be like, that's crazy. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, I, sometimes I would draft a quarterback every year in the NFL, and yep. that's not crazy. So and 20 Bill, years ago, Bill Belichick has drafted. Bill Belichick has drafted 12 quarterbacks since he's been with the Patriots. There's a reason for that. You're going to get to one of those points in this program, Rod, <laughs> next spring when Sam Ellinger's off getting ready for the NFL, and look, we're going to hear the conversation like, oh, it's how much of an NFL quarterback is Sam Ellinger? Where's his value? I don't care where his value mm-hmm. in the NFL is. He's damn good at Texas, and that's really all I'm concerned with. But anyway, when he's preparing for the next level, you're going to have Casey Thompson, Hudson Carter, Quinton Jackson, and, and most likely Jalen Milrow, all four of those guys on campus at the same time, yep. compete for the quarterback job. Here's the other part of your problem, or your quarterback problem that you didn't mention. What if you have a situation like Roshan Johnson where you get a guy on campus and realize, you know what, not only did we have a need at running back, but it might be the best one we got on campus right now. Yeah, exactly. And it just so happens that this was your quarterback take, but you know what, he's 
better at this position. Mm-hmm. He can help us win games here. Yep, that's a missy val. Yeah. Well, not a missy evaluation, but you were you were wrong, yeah. so you corrected a corrected a you know kind of a recorrection, if you will, of it. But still, that is why you got to keep recruiting quarterbacks, man. You just never know. That's added value too. Somehow you were oh, able to right. get what because some quarterbacks, if they can't play quarterback, they're that's just it. not quarterback. Wasted scholarship. You got it yourself. You manufactured depth out of a quarterback. It got a good point. I mean, it's the same idea. You see it happen very rarely. Do they go out to receiver? But I mean, even Gerard Hurd, we were just looking at highlights of him before, and he got value to where if you can recruit a guy and they fit this same type of skill set if there's an athletic quarterback that you want to go after to be your power scheme or power run spread and be able to get a guy that can have the athleticism and if he doesn't pan out at quarterback who knows he might be a good enough athlete to actually work somewhere else which used to be foreign that used to just not even exist that's what what i liked about them taking the quinn and jackson we're really both these guys in the 2020 class because hudson card keep in mind he was uh, an all-state wide receiver as a sophomore (laughs) could become your bow trahan but But, you know with texas went on him early my you know people like well you know he'd only played a handful of varsity snaps at that point and that's just the nature of the beast when you talk about evaluating Mm, quarterbacks you've got to do that early and my thing was look if tom herman and tim beck at the time they had evaluated that position and decided you know what we think Hudson Card, we think he's he's Jarrett Stidham, he's Chase Daniel, he's Ryan Tannehill, he's one of those guys that, yeah, he's a wide receiver, but watch what he does when he gets at the quarterback, his natural position. is It's just added value. And Jaquindon Jackson, in the right system, he's probably the kind of quarterback that, no joke, like has Heisman potential. Like he's that <laughs> dynamic with the ball in his hands. But if that doesn't work out, hey, man. he could be your Derwin James, Shaq Thompson type box safety. Like he's yeah. that – that dynamic of an athlete. So I love, I love the two quarterback class where you've got guys that if it doesn't work out there, they don't necessarily <laughs> have to go to the to find a place to play quarterback. They can help you win games somewhere else. So is that man? So basically, he's done that in those classes in a sense because he obviously with Casey Thompson and Cameron Rosen, that wasn't the case. But in this class, both of those guys can do it. And that's a great mentality to have. Maybe you go with the one quarterback, like, all right, this is the guy Mm. you project is going to be the future starting quarterback. Another guy, yeah, he could be the future starting quarterback, but also he could be our starting outside linebacker if we need him to go that route too. So, yeah, I I love that idea because then it gets to the bus rate, right? You guys talk about the bus rate a Uh lot, and you want to make sure you minimize the bus rate. That's how you really have a successful recruiting class. It's not so much – the boom rate, you're going to get the boom rate if you're developing and, and you're focusing on the details, but you really want to make sure you minimize the bust rate. That's the hardest thing to do. The And, and when a guy doesn't work out at quarterback, a position mm-hmm. that usually, uh, well, if he doesn't work out, he's a wasted scholarship. Like, mm-hmm. no, no, it's not wasted. We're going to move him over yeah. to running back or we're going to move him to linebacker or whatever it is. Then you minimize the bust rate that, right, that, that way. So I think that's a I don't, know, I don't know if that's intentional, unintentional, yep. or a byproduct or whatever, but that's, that's brilliant. No, and, and also it also means that your ceiling at quarterback is insane because you have a freak athlete that can play another position. But if he is maximized yeah. at the quarterback position, now you have a truly unique thing that's rare to find, a freak at position athlete skill set, but at quarterback. Yeah, but if quarterback renaissance. In the right system, <coughs> I just Jaquinn and Jackson could be special. I mean, just absolutely. Special. There's not enough superlatives you can put on it if it clicks for that guy at that position. But Rod, we talk about that with the rest of the roster. I mean, getting you know having position versatility. You see that I've seen that with Tom Herman the way they've evaluated guys, just trying to find guys, really trying to maximize. And when you're building a program, you have to do that to try to maximize 
every scholarship. Like you take a guy like Reese Leto, okay, it's not working out at tight end. You have a needed D line, go let him play D end. That's exactly. You know, right. with Malcolm Epps, it didn't work out at wide receiver. Guess what? Move him back to tight end. Yeah. And now, now with Mike Yersich taking over the offense, that tight end position might have a different role that better suits Malcolm Epps. Yeah. Than you know the the pro spread as we knew it pre Mike Yersich yeah. serve Malcolm mm-hmm. Epps. We talked about. Tyler Owens. So Tyler Owens, maybe he's not a safety, but if he ends up being, I hate to bring this guy up again, if he ends up being Isaiah Simmons, well, does it matter if it was safety or linebacker where he ended up being an all-Big 12 player for you? No, it doesn't. Yep. No, Bendis like that too, right? Bendis in the they, they had Bendis running back. Bendis running back. Now it's back at now they need him at linebacker actually. Like yeah. they, they really just put him where they need him. They need him at mm-hmm. running back that time. Now they need him at linebacker. And I don't know when they recruit guys if they. You know, edge on the other side. You know, hey, he's we project him as a running back, but could play linebacker. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like no, that, that would be really. Honestly, if I was a coach now, I think I'd add that. Like, no, no, I need, I need, I need two spots for him. Give me the if he fails at the position we're projecting. Give me the the, yeah. the contingency. When you were scouting him, was well, he also control. playing safety in high yeah, school? Yeah, you know what I mean. Know, like, like that's, that that's a really smart way of going about it. I totally agree, and I don't know if, like I said, they're doing that intentionally. If they are, it's brilliant, but. It's something that you're starting to notice now, and it's actually it's 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 helping them out manufacture depth. Talked about it with Rojo in the running back position that was obvious last year, but I think now you're starting to see it linebacker. Oh, oh no, mm-hmm. Overshown, and now Tyler Owens. We're going to experiment with it there. I wish they had an offseason to really complete some of these experiments or get more data yeah. on them information. But it seems like that's a trend, that that's something that they do. Like, that's something that they yeah. prioritize, and, and I, I love that idea. It's a baseline that if you just go and focus on the hyper-athleticism, not so much how mm-hmm. he fits these positions, yeah. like whatever label he needs to be put in. And instead of that, it's like, no, we need to get this guy. It's a football player. It's a freak athlete that can do these type yeah. of things. And then figure out where he's going to fit our team because we have to make up this roster. And if you get that baseline is – you're focused on the athleticism and his strengths and then find out where it fits later on. The yeah. type of guys you should be recruiting, in a, not just Texas, anywhere, if you're doing it right, it should be guys other than your offensive linemen and your interior defensive linemen, which we both agree those are still, like mm-hmm. in football, those might be the only two areas where it's still specialized. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't just put anybody there. Right? Centers, yeah. Yeah. You should, be, you should bring guys to the table that if he's, let's say he's an outside skill guy. He should be a guy that Chris Ash says, okay, he's playing corner for me, right? And where Andre Coleman says, uh, the hell, he's playing corner. He's playing wide receiver for me. Get a guy that position coaches and coordinators are fighting over. Yeah. That's yeah. the kind of guy you should be bringing. I remember reading the Brew McCoy thing. Remember, that was the whole thing about Brew McCoy. It was like, no, no, no. He played wide receiver. Like, yeah, he also ended up playing linebacker. Or something. I don't really want to Brew McCoy. Yeah, and so I. Man, and I can put him there now. Now that and, they're both at SC. And it's so strange because I see people in That's the funny. NFL, and we keep coming back to Isaiah Simmons because right now he is that Darryl hybrid Lynch. position flex guy. They used to call him tweeners. Now that's like a that's like a slur. You don't throw that out about a player. It's like no, no, he's not a tweener. He's a hybrid position flex. Um, I, you know, it's weird because in the recruiting world, you can say athlete. Guy's an athlete. We're recruiting him, and he's still damn. He's still five star, but he's an athlete. You don't have to put him on the field somewhere because because college, I think, is also always ahead of the NFL. The NFL is really big about titles, and mm-hmm. you must be this right. That's just why you know Christian McCaffrey is the highest paid running back in the NFL now at 16 million. But the truth is, 
he's probably more of a wide receiver and should be, be the highest paid wide receiver mm-hmm. in the NFL. If he, but the NFL, with their franchise tags, yeah. you are a tight end. Jimmy Graham wants to be paid like a wide receiver. No, you're a tight end. Yeah. You know what I mean? The NFL tells you you are this. So far as Isaiah Simmons going to the NFL, he really is just a defender. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there should be more of this. Uh, there's 50 shades of gray and less black and white when it comes to the positions and this guy's that. And that's why I think guys like Quandre Diggs, I mean, I think those guys are kind of the future of football. They're just football players out there. And I know Quandre doesn't fit the the usual prototype for a safety or a corner or a nickel, but it turns out he can play all of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and honestly, Coach Aquino was the first one that I came across in the football world that truly valued that mindset. Yeah. Like, he really did. When I, when Coach Aquino, he was sitting down and be like, ah, man, I love it, man. He, he'll play safety, man. He'll play corner, man. He's a defender, man. Don't be trying to call him a corner or safety, man. He's a, he's a freaking defender, man. He does whatever <laughs> is necessary. You know what I mean? Like, that's how he looked at the And Michael Huff was the pinnacle of that yeah. for, for Coach Aquino. That was the apotheosis. It was like, no, Michael Huff can play anything. He can play corner, and he could probably be a first-round pick. Play safety. First round pick, like nickel, probably a first round pick. You know what I mean? Like he so was doing everything. Right corner, and then safety, he had two some, of them because yeah. he always had that mentality. He had a Michael Griffin back there, mm-hmm. who also could play corner, probably safety, probably nickel. He ended up having a ton of guys like that, even in our secondary. Nathan Vasher, he had a Quentin Jammer, and people say, well, Quentin Jammer, he inherited Quentin Jammer and inherited like Nathan Vasher, but because of his philosophy, he already knew, you no, know, that guy's gonna be multi-dimensional. That guy's gonna be mm-hmm. a hybrid. Oh no, Quentin Jammer, dude, that guy can play safety, but also he can be my my shutdown corner. And when he came in with that philosophy, I was probably the only guy that was compartmentalizing, couldn't play a ton. Ahmad Brooks, safety mm-hmm. corner. That was his man. He, when he recruited guys, you can tell he was always like, I think he can play safety too. Earl Thomas, he always said Earl Thomas would be a really great nickel. He's like, man, Earl Thomas would be a great nickel, mm-hmm. great corner. That's what he. That's what he was experimenting with Earl Thomas at nickel before Earl Thomas blew up at safety, and then once he was blew up at safety, he's like, all right. I'm not going to be an idiot moving nickel now. Like, he is the guy. So it's, I mean, I think you look for guys like that all the time in football if you're smart. That's the future of the game. Yep, and it should be at all positions. And it's just the idea, and we've talked about it a lot since the end of last season, but whenever you have the ability to back up multiple positions. And, and you know, line if, you, if you're traditionally, you just have two corners, two safety, one hurt. Well, you don't have any other options, but when there's a guy like Huff that can roll down and then no matter what, if it doesn't matter if you're out a corner one day or a safety, the other, you can still have your same core four guys mm-hmm. inside there. If you have that fifth one, that's able to be the versatile one that ties the room together. And if you actually have multiple versions of it, then it changes those keys, and yep. then it becomes something that the opposing offense has to scheme against, knowing that they cannot schematically get that mismatch that they want. And it's like when you look in fantasy world, it's called multiple position eligibility, but mm. how much you can have two exact same players, but one is so much more valuable because you can put him at another position yeah. and then be able to fill out the rest of your roster. It's the same idea with football that it's an added value that you have that you just cannot even really truly quantify whenever you're able well you can by the missing bodies that are going to be filled in with a good player instead of what would be called a value or a replacement player and that added value from what your huff is to what your replacement player is whenever you're going yeah. to bump him to that next position and then let Aaron Ross play the other corner or whenever you exactly. had Terrell fill Brown. In the, fill in or the let, roster. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And Michael Griffin bases, fills yeah. it in, so it just works out that well for the roster. Awesome. Okay, let's let's move quickly here because I want to get through this and then I want to throw something at you guys before we get out of here. Uh, you guys just 
feel free to any of these names pop up to you. Tom Herman was asked, guys that we're not talking about that have a chance saw to that contribute. Yeah. Starts on offense. He mentions Christian Jones, Willie Tyler, Reese Moore, Rafidi Gramai, Tyler Johnson, all offensive linemen. Also mentions Brennan Eagles, quote, probably poised to have a great year. Mm-hmm. And then he thinks Marcus Washington is a guy on the come up. He's a guy I've talked a lot about, written about on the site. Any of those names stand out to you, Ralph? One thing I'll mention, the offensive line, he basically brings up the pool of offensive linemen that you're going to need at least one or two guys to step up from. We know now with Denzel Oakford coming back, he should be projected to start at one of those guard or tackle spots that is obviously not Cosme at the left tackle, and you're going to have Kirst that are now playing center. So I, I think his mind automatically went to those guys because he knows I got to get one of these guys to be a starter. Like I got to, you know, I mean, one of these guys got to give me rotational starting reps on the O line, maybe two of them, and then you know, I mean, you got other guys coming back. Other than that, if they're if they're if, if not then that offensive line is going to underachieve. He knows yeah. it. That's, why, that's, why, that's the first place he went to, yeah. which is why I was like, oh, man, he really is counting on those guys because that's the first spot he went to. And I thought about it too. Man, that's the group out, out of that. We, haven't, we don't know anything about that group. We know that they have been developing them. They've been in the strength program, that, you know, Rafiti Gamai, all that, you know. It's like, oh, those guys, those guys are now veterans now, right? Where's Rafiti you Gamai? Gamai, uh, hmm. Moore, and Jones are third-year sophomores. So he's like, no, nah, I need it, man. Which one yeah. of y'all is going to be a starter? Who wants a starting spot? Because it's up there. Yeah. Like, it's for grabs. Which one of y'all want to be a starter? And that's why he went there. And I'm with him, man. I don't know which one of those guys is going to step up because I haven't heard bad, good one way or the other because there's no spring. Germain yeah. <laughs> could change the outlook of the offensive line. Like, if, he, if he's good enough to start at center, Ooh, now man. you've got flexibility again with Kerstetter. Yep. To, to move him wherever you need him. And mm-hmm. Same conversation really we only, just had. Okay, now instead of trying to fill two or three spots now, all right, you five guys, which one of you guys is good enough to take this one spot? Oh, that'd be great, yeah. That would be ideal, man. Yeah. Or even if, if Germay is good enough to where, like, you know, he's not maybe not ready to unseat Kerstetter, but if he gets to the – I think if he gets to the point, Rod, where it's like, okay, if Kerstetter, something happens to Kerstetter and he's got to go into a game, if he gets to the point where you're not freaked out about that, then – that's that's a plus. That is a plus. Uh, anything on either the wide receivers, Matt? If you want to chime in, Brandon Marcus, Marcus Washington. Yeah, just seeing him. Like you only saw flashes, but I guess it was the Tech game was whenever he actually looked like. I mean, I was like, oh wow, that's the type of guy I want to see more receivers at Texas look like that on the field. He just had I don't know if it was between he was longer than I thought, but he was actually mm-hmm. way more explosive than I thought. When I complained audibly in the press box that why has John Burt been getting his reps all year? <laughs> Yeah. Oh, no man, disrespect John to John Burns, but that's just man. the football. That's, so much that's more the journalist in you coming out. If you're gonna if you're gonna burn a red shirt, Rod, then at least get get as much run out of that as you can. I like, think they wanted. I wanted John Burt to be good for two. I, I, I did too. Uh, yeah, I think because I didn't mind John Burt getting the reps because I always held that hope that he was gonna break out, but it never. But then I watched Marcus Washington in the second game make that one play. Yeah. I'm like, no, you're, right. no, you're, right. you're telling me you could have had some of that throughout the year? I was satisfied I with Burt, but no, then right. when I saw that at the end, I was like, well, if that was sitting around, it made me just wonder, yeah. you know, it made me actually feel good about the future of Washington. It made me think that he must have went really far in the season yeah. to be where he was not playing, not scenes, even thought. And yeah, behind then, the scenes, everybody that I talked to just raves about the guy. Exactly. So then that's why it's Marcus probably well-deserved and then actually probably improved a lot and earned the time. Rod, four guys mentioned on defense. We talked about some of these guys. So, Rod, Matt, feel free to add anything on any of these guys. Or Tom Herman talks about young guys that have a chance to take a step forward. 
you mentioned because of injury, DeMarvion Overshone hasn't played a whole lot, but they're counting on, obviously, big things for him. Kenyatta Watson, David Benda, Tavondre Sweat. Oh, Tavondre Sweat. Sweat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, everybody is excited about Tavondre Sweat. No question. Mm-hmm. I, I'm expecting big things from him, especially now in this new you know, four-man front. I don't know if it's going to be a four-down front, whatever, but the four-man front with Chris Ash and Kenyatta Watson. Yeah, it's interesting. He brings up Kenyatta Watson's a long-rangey corner, right? Is that who Kenyatta Watson is from Georgia? He's from Georgia. Georgia yeah. From Georgia, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of interesting. He brings him. I haven't. I haven't heard much. But that's what I'm saying. I haven't heard much. They haven't done anything in this game, so <laughs> haven't heard much. But yeah, I mean, coming in, I know there's a lot of excitement about him because he just he looks the part. I mean, he looks like he could be a a guy that you know long range you'd be in the NFL one day. And every single time I hear the name Tavondre Sweater, I see one of those Old Spice commercials. I'm like, oh, dude, you're going to get him an endorsement in a second. He can get to the league. If he gets there, he can get that Montez Sweat commercial. Yep. Uh, you know, we talked about Marcus Washington the Tech game. Right? Go back to that Tech game with Kenyatta Watson. I mean, you had to put him in there on a goal line situation, mm-hmm. defended fade balls, and he helped you get a turnover on downs at a critical point in that game. A guy that hadn't played much all year. Yeah, just threw him in the fire. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's why he likes him. It's, weird, it's interesting to find out, you know, why he li- he's liking certain guys. Is it based on bowl practices? Is it based on, yeah. you know, are you hearing something from your leadership council about Kenyatta Watson and his dedication? Like, I don't know where the, where the buzz. Is clicking inside? Yeah, like, like where's the buzz coming like, from? So that, yeah, that is funny. The idea there could yeah. be buzz right now. Oh, I'm sure there is. Well, there can be buzz, but, like, how is this buzz created? Because it's far different than other buzz. He also talked about how guys are working out in different little, little small segments, right? Because no oh, gatherings, more than 10 people. He says Sam's got a weight room at his house. So it, it, the guys who are in this area, it, you know, keeping it less than like eight guys can come in and try to work out and keep in their distance. And in H-Town, there's a, a facility like a gym where some guys are meeting up and trying to keep it small and say keep their distance. And yeah, I'm wondering like, yeah, who's so somebody's stepping up? I wonder who's what's going on. And the leadership council's probably reporting to Tom. Like, man, we got this young buck. He's getting after it, man. He's, you know what I mean? I think there's a lot of that to happen. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because he's talking to his leadership council. That's where he's getting the information about the other guys. And he talked about how he's got his leadership council. They have like basically their own personal projects. They got a player that for whatever reason coaches want to keep their eye on, but they can't keep their eye on because they're virtual. So, hey, man, I need you to check on him every day. We we, we can't because the NCAAs don't get on us, but you can. So check on this player every day. Form a really good relationship. Find out what he's doing, what he's eating, when he's working out. Boom. So they got their own project. Man, it's just fascinating. Well, I can say I want somebody got to write a book or do a documentary on this one day, and I know you can't because there's no footage. There'll be no footage of it. It's just it's fascinating how what they're deciding to do and how they're delegating. Oh yeah, stuff. after the fact because you hear all these investigative journalists can't wait to come and be able oh, to like, get the data and look at coronavirus and its effect. But you're me, you have a thirty for thirty on how the coronavirus crazy, impacted man. sports, and like you brought it up right there, talking about Ellinger, like another just coincidental built-in advantage that. He happens to be from Austin in Westlake, and it's down the road, and it's a gym at home. Like, yeah. what other schools? Like, if, say, Saint Shane Bouchel was our coach, he couldn't just go, or our quarterback, couldn't go home to Dallas and bring his buddies to work out, you know? Yeah. And the But having the local gym or a local Hudson workout Carr, area just right down. Local yeah, no, and I was signed up. I don't uh, know. I mean, that's a more so advantageous. Kay Brewer, Brewer was at a workout with Baker Mayfield. 
Well, so really? Yeah, see, it's, yeah, no, it's fascinating. Being around Austin, that's a good question. Okay. Other teams won't have that advantage. We've got a couple minutes left here. I want to throw this out to you guys real quick just for discussion. So 24-7 sports, we're having to get creative with content right now because we have no – You guys did a good job, man. Sports. I appreciate that, Rod. Yeah. Uh, I think you guys talked about Brad Crawford wrote the piece on yeah, top of two quarterbacks in Sam Ellinger, number three, which makes sense when you consider Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence are one, two, however you want to put them. Good company. But – Trey Scott had the idea. Trey Scott, a Texas alum, by the way, a former coworker of mine, twenty four seven, had the idea of trades. Like, can we find trade partners, college football trades, hypothetical trades? I read some of that. Yeah. And I made a trade on behalf of Texas with Auburn, and the trade was this: knowing how much <laughs> of a need linebacker is. When I heard Auburn was the trade partner, I was like, I gotta have Owen. I gotta see if I can get Owen proposed. And I, I need me a linebacker Ooh. that runs four four seven with a forty Ooh. inch vertical. Put him in the middle of the – you put Owen Popo and DeMarvey and Overshone at inside linebacker, good luck That's finding nasty. an alley. That's nasty. But what so am you, I giving up? You got to give something up. What am man. I giving up for this? So Brandon Marcello oh, from man. the Auburn side was like, well, he's like, you got a left tackle. I was like, I got one, but you can't have him. <laughs> so it was this. Auburn needed O-line. Corner was a secondary need. Uh, so to get Owen Popo, I gave up Junior Angulao and Anthony Cook. That's it? That's it. Oh man, you won that's that good. trade. <laughs> I like it. Sorry to tell you that. And that's a what's a well, win. Anytime you get a two for one, you know it's a win. No, no, you're getting the win. one badass. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what no, you that, want. That's a win. Good job. Yep. You, you, can, you got GM in your future. Keep on side. taking Barton, advantage Barton of them Simmons. dummies from the SEC. Barton Simmons gave me a, a B on the trade. He gave Marcelo a B plus. He's like, it hurts Texas to give a veteran offensive line. But, what? He, but Barton made the point for me why I made the trade. He's like, I almost feel like Popo would be more valuable to Texas he than he is to Auburn. I'm like, that's why I made. That's why I wanted. Yeah, it. We need a lot. We have the only linebacker. We in the got league. second. Dude, we got secondary coming out of our ears. I got, we just talked about the versatility in the second. I can move guys around in the secondary, figure out a way to manufacture depth. The offensive line, I will admit, Junior Aguilar is projected as a starter. So he's a future NFL player. Let's be honest. Like, yeah, he's a trajectory. So he's a that is NFL that's a concern on the offensive line, but there's some a lot of uncertainty. So that will concern me. But I'm with you. I take that because that linebacker. First year uh, defensive coordinator, he needs something. I don't want him to have an unstable position group. And mm-hmm. I like right now, linebacker is highly unstable. And if you're going against a Gundy and you're going against these really good offensive minds like Lincoln Riley, dude, they're looking at, oh, you, you mean you got nothing at linebacker? Oh, good luck. Yeah, good yeah, luck. Good luck. Give me the guy that's a proven commodity in the SEC West. Yeah, exactly. No, really. No, no. I, I think that I like that trade, man. I think okay. that's money in the bank. I didn't know if you guys felt I did good in, in my, no, that's my brilliant. GM role. Or what? Yeah. We gave up our you know, gave up our a, third best offensive lineman, basically, yeah. right? But, you know, we're hoping that they're looking for a step up, some other guys step up. And we gave up our, man, Anthony Cook. Number two or number three corner. Oh, yeah, that's three. your perfect NFL I think Deshaun style. James and Jalen Green are at one and two. But the perception, and that's where, like, in the NFL. But he's a five, he was a five-star, right, giving out? So. He was a high four. But, high but four, again, yeah, I looked yeah. at depth, though. It's like, okay, if you give up Jalen, again, this is all hypothetical, so this is what we have to do. I know. We'll get to uh, it now. <laughs> you give up, give up Jalen. You give up uh, Anthony Cook. But I was like, I wanted to hang on. I didn't want to give up Jalen Green. I really no. didn't want to give up Deshaun James. No way. Return game. Return game. And you got, we talked about Kenyatta Watson. Tom Herman confirms he's a guy on the rise. And we talk about the offensive line with that glut of second and third year offensive linemen. Yep. Man, if I can't find a starter out of those guys, I either need to fire my strength coach, my offensive line coach, my offensive coordinator. We, if I got six guys and you can't make a starter out of one of them, yeah. then we're we doing something issues. wrong. Yeah. I'm with you, bro. So, I like that move. Good okay. trade. 
All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll get more into some Tom Herman stuff next week, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk. We'll have plenty more in terms of the national landscape to talk about as it relates to Texas. And next week, we'll be heavy on the NFL draft since that is going on. That's Maybe. a better trade than any trade that Bill O'Brien's made. In Boom! <laughs> Boom. Really yeah. you, you were waiting to get a Bill O'Brien I wasn't. That just came to my head. I was like, that's a better trade than any of them. Look up the Bill O'Brien. The value, no. that's a better value. Just nah. saying. I wouldn't trade DeAndre Hopkins for <laughs> David Johnson and a bag of Funyuns or whatever he got. He's from the Cardinals. But Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Oh, hey, real quick, before we shut it down, I do <laughs> want to mention this. Uh, Rod B, and you can speak on this too, uh, in conjunction uh, Rod and I obviously tied in with the Horn, 104.9 The Horn and the Austin Radio Network. We're doing a great uh, partnership right. right now with the Central Texas Food Bank, our Buy a Box initiative. Uh, if you go to hornfm.com, it's probably the easiest way to get there. Go to hornfm.com, and you'll see the links to go to the Central Texas Food Bank's website. You can donate. Basically, what they've, they've kind of pared their operation down to because there's such a need right now yep. uh, for, for people to eat. People got to eat. People got to have food, and there's such a need for it with so many – loss of jobs and families figuring out uh, how to make ends meet. Uh, they're basically paring it down to food by the box. And by a box, each, baby. Each box contains 23 meals 23. for a family. Uh, it's $30 a box. I'm checking right now. We're right in it's the amazing. middle of our buy a box initiative. As of right now, Rod, the goal started at $30,000. The new goal now is $140,000 yep. because we've nice. raised, uh, in conjunction with the Austin Radio Network and the Central Texas Food Bank, as of right now, yeah. uh, over $128,000 as we sit here and record this. So I was told there would be no math involved today. I don't know how many boxes <laughs> that is, but it's amazing. Man, 30 bucks a box. Again, go to hornfm.com. We've got information about it on the flagship uh, message board at Horns 24-7 uh, and help out our community. These are all our people. It's not just the Austin area. It's the surrounding communities. Yep. You guys know I grew up in Williamson County. I live in Hayes County now. I spent a lot of time in Bell County. So, um, you know, a lot of families in need. So how, whatever you can do, uh, you know, Make sure you're doing your part. I know I've done my part. Rod, you've done your part. Um, make Can't sure do make sure we're helping we're helping out our neighbors and our friends in need. Matt, thanks for everything. Oh, you're more than welcome, and thanks for doing that too. Because hearing just y'all on the drive-in talking about it, and then the numbers you just said now. I mean, in the last three hours, y'all have had like ten thousand come in. So just the amount you're of money out, pouring man. in is awesome. Yeah, Rod, be thanks for the time and the knowledge. Uh, anytime. Oh, real quick before we get out of here, I do have to give a shout out. Uh, I hung out with Mark Henry and some other folks uh, just uh, last week, and we did a um, the not a sports show podcast. I heard him broadcast. on the radio. He was, he was talking about it. it sounds but awesome. But we had uh, Gabrielle Luna on the show, who plays mm -hmm. the Terminator in the latest Terminator: Dark Fate. Yeah. He's the Terminator, like that. That's, he he is the guy. And he, he listens to, to the Blitz. He loves the Blitz. Nice. And he wanted awesome. me to say that he loves the Blitz and he's a fan. So shout out to Gabriel, Gabe. I know he's probably listening or he'll listen whenever he has time. So shout out. Uh, the Longhorn Blitz Nation gets bigger and bigger. Nice. He's really cool. He's an awesome dude. Terminator. Awesome night. Longhorn. Everything. Awesome, man. Yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. Great way to end the show this week. For Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Matt for Rod for Travis, the best damn videographer in the podcast game. For everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn 1049-1019 AM1260 streaming on the Horn app and hornfm.com. You can get Rod B 
each and every week down on the triple option from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. And you can also get myself and Craig Way on Life is Power from 10 to noon. Thanks to Matt, you can get our archives, our classic interviews, all of our shows on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. And search Horns 24-7 Podcast, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast, search Horns 24-7 Podcast. You get State of Recruiting, Flagship, and us. And this week's Flagship Podcast with Chip Brown and Taylor Estes is, in its entirety, our Texas Tailgate Virtual Chat with Tom Herman. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode.